Is this the year Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills break through? It's Bills Day, and we're breaking them down from every angle today on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. You are Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes, your daily podcast for NFL and college football scouting. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? It's guys being dudes here on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. We're the Draft Dudes. I'm Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. He's Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. And we are your NFL experts here with you daily to talk team building across the league on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We'd like to thank you for making Locked On NFL Scouting your first listen every day. And of course, a big welcome and shout out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, we appreciate y'all being here very, very much. Joe, happy National Who Day Day to you. Uh, because who, who, Bang- who Day is the Bengals? showed up in 16 hours and set the YouTube views mm-hmm. record in this series for Locked On NFL Scouting. Uh, besting the team that had been posted for five weeks. Colts? In the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Yeah. The Thank you, hours. Bengals fans. Bengals fans. Hopefully the Bengals fans are back today to hear, hear about, about the Bills, and they come back tomorrow to hear about the Chiefs, right? Like, that would be cool. What a heavy-hitting stretch of teams we have here. Whoever put this schedule together probably uh, – I don't, know who, Joe, I don't know who it was. Everybody who assumed that I'm patting myself on the back, Joe's the one that actually did the schedule. So. <laughs> Might as well stack them up three days in a row, see go. what yeah. uh, the perceived top of the AFC looks nice like. Nice little and, treat. Yeah. Well, we get Good to football teams. To focus Including in on the Buffalo Bills. The, yeah, they're, they're pretty pretty solid. Heard about them. Um, uh, uh, mm. <laughs> I get it. I like that. Like a like herd, herd of bison. Thank you. Yeah. Not Buffalo. No, they're not. They're actually not Buffalo. Buffalo. There's no Buffalo in North America. Right. Yeah. Just Bison. So anyway, we have offense, defense and coming to consensus on the schedule today. I have the depth chart for those of you who are up on the YouTube channel uh, that we will go through and and walk through this Buffalo Bills team. Uh, But we're going to put all of the players into buckets based on the film study that we've done. And the objective is to. Uh, kind of give you a visual component if you're you're watching on YouTube, and, and if not, give you kind of some perspective on how high quality this roster is. And of course, the Bills are very much in a Super Bowl window. They they have a franchise quarterback in Josh Allen who has been highly productive the last couple of years, and it, it feels like Joe this off season uh, was focused a little bit about tweaking what was around. Josh Allen on the offensive side of the ball, obviously their first two picks in the draft on the offensive side of the football. We've heard them really talk up Dalton Kincaid, but looking at um, the infrastructure that the bills had from last year, there's some pieces that I think can continue to grow into bigger roles for this football team, namely players from the 2022 NFL drafting Khalil Shakir and James Cook that I'm really excited for 15 games out of the year to see how they contribute to Buffalo offensively and, and how big of an imprint they can leave on this football team. I think James Cook's a good player to invoke here. Um, 
he'll get an opportunity to kind of take over as the lead running back. Devin Singletary has led this team in rushing four years in a row. He's now a Texan, and so this looks to be James Cook's backfield to go with uh, you know some good depth in Damian Harris and Naheem Hines and Latavius Murray. Uh, but I think when you talk about how this offense can evolve this year, a lot of it is James Cook and the pass-catching catch, ability and, of course, drafting Dalton Kincaid in the first round and him being used as a big slot and restoring a lot of the middle of the field and slot targets that the Bills enjoyed from Cole Beasley and kind of giving that now to Dalton Kincaid. But this is what I get excited about is, like, you can put a personnel grouping out there with your eligibles being Davis and Diggs, Knox and Kincaid and Cook, and you could show 12 personnel. You can motion James Cook out of the backfield, and now you're empty. And you could really hopefully put yourself in a position to dictate terms with that defense is either too small or they're too slow, and there's just going to be some matchup problems that you can create with those personnel groupings. And so I think, yeah, James Cook and Dalton Kincaid um, can can unlock a lot of what I think the vision is for Ken Dorsey in his second season as the Bills' offensive coordinator. So I think there's some irony here in um... – We've done a lot of these teams. This is our 20th team. I is it really? Wow, 20. In this exercise. And we've spent next to zero time talking about quarterbacks throughout the entirety of the series. <laughs> and some of that's because we know when we get to the end of the rainbow, we have to stack the quarterback separately. And mm-hmm. that's going to be a very robust and dynamic conversation. But uh, I do think with, with Buffalo, you talking about matchup problems, and defending the full width of the field, particularly adding more threats in the middle of the field, whether that's James Cook and what he can do as a pass catcher, or Dalton Kincaid with Stefan Diggs, obviously, on the outside. And Josh Allen having the arm to access all levels of the field at any time. I don't know if maybe to the degree in which the new Madden game seems to insinuate with this running sidearm diving throw. Oh, yeah, throw. that's just getting like horrors, like parallel to the ground yeah, and just, just yeah. uncorking like 140. Josh and Mahomes can throw that thing. Yeah like people got into practice on the bait or whatever they were throwing it like 50 yards downfield like saw some of those videos like oh great here we go here we go maybe we don't get the new console this (laughs) this year um but for josh to have that access i think what really is important to invoke with josh is his ability as a athlete and out of script and getting outside the pocket and serving as a runner the last two years for this football team, almost identical rushing numbers, right? He's mm-hmm. over six yards per rush each of the last two years, within one yard of each other, over 760 rushing yards each of the last two seasons since we started playing 17 games. Now, he missed a game last year. Uh, 13 touchdowns combined over the, that stretch of time. So while Buffalo is a team who has been in the top eight in each of the last two seasons in pass attempts, and there's still some teams that are out there throwing the ball 700 times. And Buffalo might be calling dropbacks, but Josh yeah. has 123 average carries in each of the last two seasons. I think that's a dynamic to this offense that putting the middle of the field receivers into what you have with Stephon Diggs gives you matchup problems that you have to be much more sensitive to And then, oh, by the way, you have a quarterback that will break the pocket if you're going to try to man them up to any capacity or if you aren't disciplined with your rush. I think that is the, I don't even want to say hidden value, and I know fantasy players are super dialed in because mobile quarterbacks who log big-time rushing numbers are like the top-shelf A1 component of playing the game, but 
that's the the part about the Bills offense that I think needs to continue the way that it is. And then you probably just want to see Josh not elect to hurdle people or run people over as frequently as he does. And I know he, he I, I believe he's made at least one comment this offseason about how he's not always going to be able to play that way. Yeah, we've heard and, that for a few years, though. Let's. <laughs> Okay, and that's where I defer to your right. expertise. But I heard that quote, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, man, like that's good perspective. I like hearing that." But if that's if that's kind of a storyline we get every off season, a recurring mm-hmm. event, then then maybe we're not going to apply it this year yet. But he seemed. I mean, I guess he seemed as sincere as he ever has. He talked about taking care of his body and and knowing when to pick his spots to turn into an absolute monster when he runs the football. But also, you know, being better with some decision-making type stuff, right? So both as where he wants to put the football, but also how he takes care of himself, like decision-making across the board. That's, I think it's always going to be a conversation with Josh Allen until it, until he tells us it doesn't have to be. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how that evolves. Um, I think one of the big X factors for this offense is going to be Spencer Brown's development at right tackle where agree. Uh, for two seasons, you know, he's been flashy, but mostly very, very inconsistent. And I think about his path, you know, he's, played tight end in high school, eight-man football. Uh, and then he goes to Northern Iowa, and he only plays two seasons at right tackle. And, of course, his last season was a COVID year. He didn't play at all. Gets drafted, winds up being a starter in week four, has an injury that he tries to play through, has back surgery after his rookie season and had no offseason going into year two, um, and then kind of struggled through year two. Obviously, supremely physically gifted in terms of athleticism and size, right? You don't find – big dudes that can move like he can, but he's got to be a more consistent football player, right? Where he's kind of a narrow build. His edges get uh, kind of compromised. He gives you something in the run game, but holding onto those blocks for long enough. I think Spencer Brown's development at right tackle is as big of a component for this football team overall um, in 2023. If, if you're talking about, okay, where can they can really take a step? I think him realizing his ceiling in year three is absolutely critical. And, Fortunately, they recently signed Brandon Shell as kind of a, a hedge there. But prior to that, you know, there was nothing, right? It was like, okay, Spencer Brown, here it is, <laughs> right? Kind of making him all warm and fuzzy there at right tackle. But I think getting some competition in there and making sure that you have a hedge in case it doesn't come together was smart by the Bills. But, yeah, Spencer Brown realizing his ceiling this year is could be really big for this team. And I think Shell is, is a good kind of gamble to take, obviously having seen him firsthand play – effectively 14 games as a starter last year, right tackle for the Dolphins. Um, some missed assignments in the run game when you get outside the numbers, but you know, generally speaking, the, there's a relatively high floor, even if it's not ideally who you want as a long-term starter there. He was a very good bridge tackle for the Dolphins to get him through the season with the Austin Jackson injuries that cost him all but about a game and a half's worth of snaps. So I like that. I, I really like the the – guard competition with Edwards, McGovern, and, and Gates, and Torrance as well. I think that's a really, really strong interior group, and uh, Deion Dawkins has been a quiet stud for the Bills for the past couple of seasons at left tackle. Mitch Morris, one of the best centers in football, so uh, I, I think the rejuvenated competition at guard, I think the uh, the depth with Brandon Shell behind Spencer Brown gives this unit maybe a floor that it didn't have last year. It just, 
it also has felt like to me, and I'd love for you to expand on this a little bit, it hasn't necessarily felt like talent has been void in this offensive line, even though there's been some conversation about the supporting cast for Josh Allen and, and the offensive line and what they provide. So is this more of a, have you perceived this to be more of a talent issue or a chemistry experiment? Yeah, I, I think the talent piece of it comes up when you see banter where Bills fans are like, well, I wish that Josh Allen had Joe Burrow's receivers, or I wish that Josh Allen had Patrick Mahomes' offensive line, right? But like in, in actuality, I think it's it's probably it's right. Yeah, it's a little bit different. But um, I think the, the offense last year, I, however you want to measure offense, the Bills were statistically near – uh, the top of, of any meaningful care category. But I would say that there was a lot of it that felt out of sync, right? And um, they didn't really evolve the scheme throughout the year. It looked hard at times. They went with this very aggressive vertical component post Josh Allen's injury um, where, you know, everything seemed to be down the field at in a ridiculous clip. And I think a number of factors contributed to that. Um, I think some of the components that the Bills were counting on uh, building the offense in year one under Ken Dorsey um, didn't materialize, whether that was O.J. Howard. They, I think they wanted him to be the 12 personnel player that they drafted Dalton Kincaid to be. He didn't make the roster. You know, they move on from Cole Beasley, and Isaiah McKenzie's not Cole Beasley, and Jameson Crowder got hurt, so they didn't have that slot component. Zach Moss wasn't what they thought he was going to be. They wanted to be a wide zone rushing offense. They had to pivot into a gap scheme throughout the course of the year. Spencer Brown didn't really materialize at right tackle. First year OC, Josh Allen hurts his throwing elbow midway through the season. There was just a lot of layers together that I think took away from their ability, <clears throat> excuse me, later in the season to really take steps and, and orchestrate what they wanted it to become. Because I think they were catching themselves all year long with some of those dynamics that didn't exist. But um, they scored a lot of points. They moved. They had a lot of yards. But I would say late in the season, it, it was it was a lot harder than it looked earlier in the season. Speaking of catching ourselves, Joe. Yes. Make sure we deliver our very important message to everybody here on Locked On NFL Scouting about now being the perfect time. Well, maybe not a fast break. Are there fast breaks in hockey? Uh, there's something. Power plays. Yeah, uh, Nuggets are the champions, so there's no – Breakaway. Breakaway. Make a breakaway to FanDuel. Yeah, make a breakaway to FanDuel during the NHL breakaway. Stanley Cup. Because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets – if that first bet doesn't win, and there's a lot of great reasons to bet over at FanDuel. You get great promotions every day. It's a safe, secure, and easy-to-use app, instant payouts, and a lot of action that you can get in on, of course, football's futures, Major League Baseball, the NHL, Stanley Cup. It's all there for you at America's number one sportsbook. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA. Was there anything else you wanted to tackle offensively? We will obviously no, have segment no. three to kind yeah. of summarize the, yeah, the, that side of the football. Let's talk defense. Uh, so there, I have mixed emotions about the defense because there's a lot of things to be nice tumbler, by the way. Um, Bird dogs tumbling. There's a loss of Tremaine Edmonds that I think certainly hurts anytime you lose a player of that magnitude and as, as young as he is, he's one of the best linebackers in football. 
But then you have like Jordan Poyer's back and that kind of felt like a narrative that close to the end of the year, like he had said his thank yous to the fans and his teammates in the locker room. You get Micah Hyde back. You have Von Miller coming back from an injury and they missed him down the stretch. They just added Leonard Floyd, which I think is a really good complimentary add to the pass rush room. But Hyde's coming back from an injury. Trey White getting back after a full off season of being able to train after he came back from an injury from the previous season. I just think there's a certain element of variance maybe Mm -hmm. as far as like what, what you're going to get with some of these critical X factors, but when they're at their best, they're, they're cornerstone players in the, in the secondary with Trey white, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, you know, when this group's healthy and they're operating at optimum capacity, there's a reason why, statistically, with Leslie Frazier, who's obviously no longer here either, this has been one of the best defenses in football because the ideology that they implement on the back end and the presentation that they give to teams is amongst the best of the best. And they've been in that system for an extended period of time, so there's a firm understanding of how it's supposed to work. And I, I think Buffalo will be better for having Poyer back and hide back, and Trey White hopefully healthy. But I don't think it's a stone-cold lock that those players will be the players that we've been accustomed to them being because we don't we need to see Trey White get back to the optimum physical performance where he came back midway through the year, and you could kind of tell he was a half-step off. And then Poyer and Hyde are 32, and Hyde missed all but like 110 snaps last year. So, like, it's it's got to come together. But if it does come together, the infrastructure for one of the best, probably the best secondary in football is still very much in place. And then you have young guys in Benford and Kyrie Elam who are coming into their own as well. Yeah, I, I think variance is a good good word to invoke. Um, it's going to be some differences here. Of course, you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds not being around. And, you know, that's the type of skill set that allows you to play defense a certain way, especially with, um, middle field open coverages and really trusting Tremaine's coverage range and depth, and you can space the field very differently. And that's not going to be the case anymore where there's a three-way competition between Terrell Bernard and Dorian Williams, who were third-round picks this year and last, and then Tyrell Dotson, who's got four years of time in the in, in the system, but you know I don't necessarily think he represents that high of a ceiling, and I'm concerned about his coverage ability. Um and so, yeah, that's big, right? Your communicator, your five-year starter, your your Pro Bowl linebacker that calls your defense, um, the green dot player's not there, and you have a new play caller now, Sean McDermott's the defensive coordinator for this football team. And, you know, that's going to be a shift for him, embracing that responsibility to go with being the head coach. And we know that Sean's one of those head coaches that's like CEO leadership, like not necessarily in the weeds um, with, you know, the uh, – I wouldn't say he's not in the weeds, but like not as active of a role calling the defense or the offense like you see for some coaches. So that's going to be a shift for him. And yeah, I think it's fair. You look at some of the potential cornerstone players on the team and Micah Hyde, like you mentioned, coming off of a neck injury. Uh, he was evidently ready to go if the Bills made the AFC Championship game last year. So like you feel good about that, but you have to see it. I mean, Jordan Poyer had a thousand injuries last year. He played through a lot of them. Von Miller coming off of an ACL tear. Stone Cold Steve Austin brace on his elbow. Dude, right? You should, do you see the knot that was underneath it? I mean, it was like, I mean, it was just incredible. <laughs> Tough as you know, nails, man. Trey White, you want to see him fully healthy, right? I think that's that's really fair to to 
to bring those things out. Um, and so how does this defense change and evolve, right? I think you're going to see more middle field close coverages. I think you're going to see more man looks from their linebackers. I think you're going to see more simulated pressures and maybe even some odd fronts. And um, you're obviously counting on some growth from younger players like a Greg Rousseau, who's been on a really good trajectory, a better trajectory than I anticipated. Um, and, and, you know, can his year three, you know, he's still super young. What does that look like? And, you know, at CB2, does Kyer Elam, the Bills' first-round pick from 2022, you know, realize his potential opposite of Trey White? So, you know, you need those veterans to be what they've been, but also, you know, some of these young guys kind of emerging and and um, some of them continue on their trajectory, but some of them playing at a, at a level looking at middle linebacker that we haven't seen before. I think what, what I feel really good about is – you know, the, this team has impact players in a lot of spots. And even the players that we have some questions about still have impact ability. Like you and I had a pretty lengthy discussion in the pre-show about Ed Oliver, right? And, mm-hmm. and finding the right way to quantify Ed Oliver. And the high watermarks are really, really good for Ed. In the games in which he is there and he's consistently in the backfield and utilizing his first step quickness and, and – winning and getting into gaps quickly, he's a very disruptive player. Now, you'd like to see a more consistent football player, but if that's the kind of player that you have with these sturdy interior presence players like Daquan Jones, who they brought in last year, Puna Ford, who they added as a really under-the-radar, like good free agent signing who's probably going to live in the A-gap much more frequently than they did in Seattle last year, where he was uh, kind of moved around that defense a little bit more than I think you and I probably anticipated when we studied Seattle. And then you have an impact player like Von Miller. Well, if Von Miller misses the the first month of the season, okay, you have Greg Rousseau, like you said. You have Leonard Floyd, who you just signed in free agency. Then you have one of the best linebackers in football, Matt Milano. And then you have these safeties who are such weapons when you play middle of the field open coverage from what they can do from depth that uh, I think Buffalo is is very well aligned in the midst of a challenging schedule this year to play the AFC West, to have a highly competitive AFC East, to play the NFC East. Uh, and they, Cincinnati. They might, they might not be top three in all right. the stats like they were last year, right? But like, right. this is going to be a very good group. And, you know, Sean McDermott before, once upon a time, before he was head coach, like hot shot defensive coordinator. You'd, you'd certainly mm-hmm. like to think him putting his imprint on this defense and knowing these players as well as he does. Um, but I do think that is something about this team that is a little bit of a mirror to last year with what the offensive changes were, right? Like Buffalo for four or five years had like no attrition in their coaching staff. Mm -hmm. They had super stable and it really, they, they reaped the benefits of that for having these consistent. It was like a consistent incubated environment for these young players from when they had set on their rebuild. And now they finally started to see some attrition. There was some attrition on the offensive staff last year when, when Dayball left and, and they made the, the offensive coordinator change. And then lo and behold, this year, now there's a little bit on the defensive side of the ball where you hope that experience goes a little smoother than what last year's offensive experience looked like, where, as you said in the first segment, there were there were times where the offense was kind of herky-jerky. I think the Detroit game is a perfect example. Yeah. Right? It's hard. And then you right. got to get it to win the game. And your franchise quarterback flips a switch and you guys go down and, and do what you need to do to win a football game. Yeah, the second Miami game was another really good example of that. 
you, know, you got those moments, but you, you need them more consistently down the stretch yeah. for sure. All right, we got to come to consensus on Gabe Davis. And um, I got a little talking point that I want to get into, Kyle, here as we close out today's episode of Lockdown NFL Scouting. Can't wait. Do you want to do your talking point first? I'm going to pull the death chart up for all of you who are on YouTube. Let's let's get through Gabe. Let's. Because I can't believe you're going to put me in the spot with Gabe Davis. You got to go to bat for your guy. I hate it. I put Gabriel Davis in a quality depth. (laughs) and i get it i get how many yards he had in the playoff game against the chiefs and i get he had like 800 yards last year i'm just saying if you look at the skill set of gabriel davis and you ask yourself genuinely would you like a little bit more robust skill set there whereas gabriel davis is a height weight speed player who doesn't necessarily run the four threes but he's really good on tracking vertical balls and running on the vertical plane like if you put him in a separate bucket from the slot receiver role, he's ideally not one of my top two options in the passing game or my one of my top two options as an outside wide receiver, I should say. And because of that, I put him in quality depth because I think he is a good football player. I think he's got a very clear role. I just want to want him as a top two perimeter wide receiver on my depth chart. All right. And so my counter to that's going to be, I don't disagree with you. And if Gabe Davis is your, number two receiver with the absence of a slot player like existed last year, despite the raw statistical data that he was able to put up, he's going to limit your offense. But I think when you do have a good slot player, like the bills had with Cole Beasley, you know, then Gabe can be a little bit more effective in the ways that he's used. Um, And so I think the presence of a slot player gets Gabe to a sufficient starting level player. The absence of a slot player makes you say, wow, he's probably quality depth. How do you, how do you reconcile that? And this is more of an ideological question more than mm-hmm. like me combating you here, but like his first two seasons, he had about 60 targets mm-hmm. and he caught the same number of footballs and he had like 16 and a half yards per catch average. And then he got a 50% bump in targets. And while the yards per target was about the same, the catch percentage was about the same. He caught 51.6% of his his targets last year. Uh, There's a marginal increase in the receptions per game. But at the end of the day, like not necessarily as efficient like a career low in catch percentage super inefficient player it's low percentage throws when you're going to attack down the field anyway relative Mm -hmm. to the easy completions underneath how do you reconcile the foil between a better slot player makes gabriel davis more effective but a better slot player means less targets for gabriel davis and then he's less of an impact in your offense that way because i think he's that he's a down the field player right like, that's what he is. He's a size, ball skills, leverage winner down the field um, and makes a lot of plays being on the same page with Josh Allen and some of those scramble moments. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I look at him like I do other – I mean, there's other players that are like him out there. I would say, like, maybe Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, what Donovan Peoples-Jones is, I think what Nico Collins is going to be for uh, Houston. Um, those types of players is kind of the world that I think he lives in. Or there's a 
there's a specialization to what he does and there's a lack of efficiency because it's generally down the field. Valdez Scantling might be the perfect name to bring up. Like Valdez Scantling's career catch percentage on targets is like 50%. And Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes are throwing those balls to him. And yards per target is like almost nine for his career across 300 and something targets. I think that's just how he yards per catch average. That's, that's how that's he wins. He's not a complete player. He's not. So, so that what, I don't know that that answers our right. So our riddle here on what a lot of time. A lot of times we've been in this spot before where we feel like a player's ability to be the best version of themselves is sometimes contingent on other positions. And so, what I would bring to the conversation is this. Do the Bills have that piece of their offense right now to allow Gabe to be the more effective version of himself? You'd like to think so, but it is an incomplete eval because it's a rookie, right? Right. So it's a rookie slash Deontay Hardy slash Khalil Shakir as this slot dynamic that is going to be required for Gabe to play better. He also had a high ankle sprain early in the season. I think it was week two. So the different where he's either a adequate starter yellow tag or a quality depth purple tag. Correct. Those are the the two buckets that we've kind of put our flag in. And if we look at some of the other ones that we have assigned, I know you mentioned Peoples Jones. He got a yellow tag from us for the Browns. Um, Devontae Parker's a yellow. Matt Collins, Collins is a purple. Who's a height, weight, speed, 4-5 guy. Probably more special teams, or definitely more special teams impact uh, early in his career than Gabriel Davis has been an impactful offensive player where that side of Matt Collins has only really come out recently. So I would say Gabriel Davis is ahead of the curve in that respect. DJ Chark, yellow, a.k.a. adequate starter. I think those are his peers, man. I really do. When I look at it, I think those are his peers more than Chase Claypool, Mac Hollins, Juwan Jennings type players. Then he is going to go in the yellow bucket, and he will be graded as an adequate starter for the time being. This is the I want to get out of here with this because I feel like the conversation with the Bills at this point this year and this point last year is really really different, right? The Bills were everybody's pick to win the Super Bowl last year. Every everybody, right? Like it was like this foregone conclusion that the Bills were supposed to win the Super Bowl last year. And then they didn't. They went thirteen and three. They lost three games by a combined eight points, and then lost twenty seven to ten to the Bengals in the divisional round in a game that never felt competitive. Um. A lot of adversity obviously hit the team, whether it was injuries, just crazy dynamics with the community, left and right. I think you're going to believe that this team is better, though the roster right now is better than it was last year. I think it's I think it's very clearly better. I think it's minus Tremaine Edmonds with a better O-line, more weapons, and uh, developing young players. I think the D-line's way better than it was last year collectively. They just don't have the hype, right? There's just the hype. The Bills hype is not there. And I think because everyone is, well, they lost 27 to 10 to the Bengals. And that's all anybody remembers about last year. But I think this team, I think this team is better than it was last year. 
but doesn't have the hype, which to, to which I say good, because I, I remember listening to every single Sean McDermott press conference last year at this time. And it was, how do you manage the expectations of the perceived Super Bowl favorites? And that's not the questions he's facing anymore. So I, I like that vantage point. But, you know, what, what do you when you think about that foil between this year and last, where do you land? Yeah, I think the um, the conversation around the, the Bills' uh, window being closed and expiring is, is greatly exaggerated. Uh, I think this will be a highly competitive football team. If you asked me, is it a better football team than last year or is it a better roster than last year, uh, I think it has the pieces to certainly be that. I do think, as we kind of talked about on the defensive side of the ball, I think the Bills are trying to thread the needle on a moving target with both sides of the ball a little bit. You got the information you needed to adjust last year with what the offensive changes were. Uh, And I think the reason you're threading the needle on the defensive side of the ball is a little bit less about Sean McDermott and the coaching staff changes, and it's a little bit more about uh, father time and some of your critical pieces being players that Von Miller, Micah Hyde, coming back off of injuries while being roster cornerstones. And you need those players late in the year, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the the dynamic that's going to really push Buffalo season one way or another. Uh, but to sit here and say that their window is closed or that they're washed or that, you know, it's, it's done and over with, I think is greatly exaggerated because this team still has a lot to like. They they obviously have the essential pieces in place with a high volume pass catcher and Josh Allen at quarterback. And defensively, they have a bunch of impact players. I think this this is grading out as one of the best defensive fronts that that we have graded with Von Miller healthy uh, and Greg Rousseau being the player that he is. And I think Leonard Floyd again is a really nice complimentary pass rusher to all of the guys that they drafted on day two are like these really heavy handed, long armed inline guy. Well, Floyd's bendy and bursty and, and can really get after you with speed. And to have another kind of player like that, if you do miss Vaughn at any stretch throughout the season, I think is going to be really helpful. So uh, I do think it's a more complete roster. I think the depth is better on the roster, particularly in the backfield and, and, you know, bringing in Trent Sherfield, I don't think should be overlooked as a player who's going to be a blue collar player that Buffalo fans are going to absolutely love. So um, the Tremaine Edmonds subtraction changes the dynamics of the defense, which kind of makes you thread the needle. But I, th- I think they're much more well-equipped to handle threading the needle on the defensive side of the ball, and they have a year's worth of information on the offensive side of the ball, the same thing. Yeah. All right. I see it, I see it pretty similarly. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We will Should be a see, good team. We will see all of you tomorrow for Chiefs Day. Here on Locked On NFL Scouting of Cockrafts, he's Joe Marino. We are the Draft Dudes. Appreciate you guys checking out the show. Make it a great rest of your day. We will be back again tomorrow to talk about the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs.